Welcome to Almost Here, Round the Corner of Future Technology podcasts with Richard Jacobs. Future Technologies, poised to transform our lives for better or worse, are the focus of this podcast. Almost Here means these technologies are now here and starting to be used, or just around the corner, from Bitcoin to artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more. Hey, this is Richard Jacobs with Future Tech Podcast. Almost here, round the corner of future technologies. I'm here today with Kyle Adriani of Additive Rocket Corporation, ARC. How you doing, Kyle? Very good. Thanks for having me, Richard. Yeah, Kyle, you're the CTO of uh, of Arc Engines. Um, can you give a, a quick rundown of what you guys do in the 3D printing space? It looks really interesting. Sure. So uh, we were founded in uh, late 2015 with the goal of democratizing space. We've seen a monumental shift of the space industry towards privatization. And uh, previously, that that was really only accessible to the billionaires that you see, Elon Musk, Bezos, Richard Branson. Uh, But we were also seeing a lot of smaller companies popping up to compete with these uh, very large Entities, and we wanted to develop products that would reduce their time to market and ultimately make them competitive in this space. So that's where we started uh, developing our customer base. And the main idea behind our technology is that we 3D print rocket engines and other components for the space industry, and we can achieve dramatic performance benefits through our technology. Yeah, it, it seems like SpaceX, um, I'm guessing, opened the door to the, the possibility and the thought that it doesn't just have to be NASA in order to, to go into orbital or suborbital flights. Was that a big milestone as you see in the industry? Oh, absolutely. If you compare the kind of the price per launch of uh, the space shuttle program to Elon Musk, uh, 69 million dollar uh, each Falcon 9 uh, rocket and, and then with the reusability mm-hmm. uh, aspect that he's playing to the price per launch would come down to five million that's unheard of and that really opens up um, launch capabilities to any group that it wasn't available to before you said that yeah I know it's probably not your exact area but you said it brought the launch price down to five million what is it traditionally under NASA a billion or oh, right. So you're looking at uh uh it uh, really has, has not been able to get under the uh, hundred million mark until uh SpaceX came along with you know, I'm not comparatively a, a five million dollar launch of of uh Falcon Nine with that sort of payload is unheard of. And that's awesome. Well that's, well, that's impressive. There are many uh, entities that are right on his tail with, with offering very low-cost vehicles uh, for launch vehicles. Wow. So what what got you into this industry? How did you, um, what's your story? Yeah, so I, uh, I started out uh, an undergrad at UCSB, and uh, I got involved with a uh, of here and together we uh, we really wanted to 
been experienced outside of, you know, typical classes. And we thought, let's make a, a rocket engine. How, how hard could it be? <laughs> uh, and it turns out that uh, it, it's a little challenging, but the difficult part is finding the money. So we, we had a very tight budget. We had about $5,000 to uh, get a rocket engine, make, make one ourselves, and, and test it. And so we were looking at all the traditional methods of producing engines and, and designing them, and they were all 10 to 20 times uh, our budget. So we, we uh, got a little creative, and we looked to 3D printing at this time and really only been implemented for uh, dental implants, hip replacements, things of that sort in the medical field, and we thought, uh, these materials are, are strong enough and, and can withstand the temperature of the rocket engine. Let's just print it out of those. So we did. Uh, we were able to get under our budget, print uh, one of the first ever 3D printed rocket engines and test it in the Mojave Desert. And it was a normal success. Really? Wow. What, what was the uh, test parameters? I'm just curious. Like, Was it heights or what yeah, was it? So, it was, so uh, it was a static hot fire. So we strapped the engine down. It was a 200-pound thrust uh, engine that we we printed uh, out of out of one piece. We didn't we didn't uh, post process it uh, whatsoever. So came off the printer, did a little bit of testing, a little bit of throwing on a test rig and fire. Wow. What would normally be the typical time to um, to make a new engine and the cost and uh, you know compare what you did. To what it would normally be, you know, time, money, all yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. So, so the uh, typically looking backwards for the manufacturing, you're looking at six months of really advanced machining, uh, six months uh, to a year for uh, design, and it can be even longer for larger engines. So when you kind of think of space shuttle engines. Uh, F1 uh, regime, RD-180, you're looking at these are billion dollar efforts that uh, the U.S. and Russia had to undergo in order to create these engines. And a couple of uh, undergrads made a bit of scale down one, but a working rocket engine in uh, academic quarters. That's fantastic. That's really great. So what... Um so this has led to a company, Arc Engines, and what, what do you guys do now? And you know, tell me a little bit about what you're actually doing. What kind of projects? Right, right. So, so we, of course, uh, we weren't we weren't starting out uh, when we really printed that first engine with a uh, goal of necessarily making a uh, commercial product. But we were traveling around to uh, conferences all over the country, and we got. Uh, medium and medium small and large entities in the, the space industry coming up to us and, and asking for our expertise in added manufacturing and uh, and help uh, the learner help to make these sorts of engines for them. And so uh, that was a really good opportunity. I think you know it's worth branching out and, and investigating the sort of market viability. And so that's what we've done, and we've uh, had some success. We are a, a young startup, 
uh, we're tailoring, of course, to the base industry and, and a couple of different sectors. So what, what kind of a printer are you guys using? I mean, you, you're making, uh, like, how big are the parts you're making and what materials? And... Yeah, so we're, we use a, a printing method called DMRS. It stands for Direct Metal Laser Sintering. And it's uh, a powder bed method that uh, is very attractive for a number of reasons. Of course, is that it provides um, high density, high resolution parts, and also the uh, patents on it uh, recently expired about two years ago. So we're seeing a big drop in the, the price, the pricing for spending time uh, through this method. And what's, uh, what kind of metals go into making a rocket engine, typically? Yeah, so we, we use a lot of the nickel super alloys, what they're, what they're called. Uh, they're very corrosion resistant. They operate in very high heat environments. And while they're uh, very difficult to machine, they're actually uh, very simple to add as a manufacturer with the powder bed metal. So you said it's a laser sintering. So sintering, as I understand, I'm, I'm a layperson, but it's what metal powder that gets lasered and heated up and fused. Is that how it works? Right, right. So the printer, in fact, lays down roughly a 20 micron layer of metal powder, and that's about half the diameter uh, of human hair. And it will lay down a very thin layer of powder, and then a laser. Uh, from above, controlled by two mirrors, will simply trace out a cross section of, of the geometry, and then another uh, layer of powder will be laid down, and uh, after enough time, they'll have a part. So, when the laser fuses the uh, powder, how fast does it, I don't know the word for it, quote unquote, cure or become solid? Or how long do you go with the next layer on? So, uh, Depending on, of course, your parameters, that uh, that can be a matter of thirty seconds. <laughs> but these layers are so thin that for a typical component that's about uh, a foot tall, you're looking at uh, four to seven days of continuous print. Wow. Okay. Well, with additive manufacturing and three D printing, so what? I don't know if you've explored this yet. <clears throat> you can emulate rocket engines that are out there scaled down. How about new things you can do because of the way you're doing it that maybe can't even be done by big rocket manufacturers? What, what kind of things are those? Absolutely. So uh, if you can imagine when we started out uh, as just students at UCSD, we didn't actually know how to uh, design a rocket engine. So in, uh, Instead of doing probably what we should have, which was putting the book, uh, we redesigned the whole engine from scratch. And we took full advantage of the new capabilities of 3D printing and out of manufacturing to unlock some dramatic performance benefits. So, uh, one of the key things that we can do with uh, 3D printing now is we can create automatic structures and fractal fluid passages within an engine. And I know that probably sounds scary, but it's uh, similar to the way that your, your blood vessels transport uh, 
blood flow efficiently to the oxygenating your body where we're transporting fuel through similar uh, methods and we're back where we're able to, uh, able to reduce the pressure required to drive this fuel, allowing us to minimize upstream components such as pumps and tanks, reducing weight dramatically. So since you can send fuel around where it needs to go at lower pressures, does that mean less chance for a blowout or an explosion as well? Yeah, so, so there, there are a couple uh, key benefits. The first is that a low pressure drop uh, in the transport. The second is really advanced cooling. And the third is that we can create engines that uh, typically had to be created in four to ten different components filled with lead and gaskets. We can create it in just one piece. Mm -hmm. So that eliminates numerous failure points. Uh, and and really helps out your performance as well. Well, I think the Challenger disaster was because of a uh, a gasket, right? That uh, near the fuel. Yeah, right. O-ring gasket, and uh, those gaskets and O-rings have been playing uh, aerospace components since the beginning. eliminated them. Can you can you talk more about the biomimetic properties? of how blood flows, I mean, you know, I obviously don't give proprietary info, but it just sounds sure, really sure. amazing. What, you know, what else can you say about that? How does blood flow and what did you do to mimic it? Sure. So if you imagine a uh, tree roof branching into the soil, they, they want to spread out uh, so that they can kind of optimize bring the balances between going into the soil to get the nutrients, but also kind of have the bandwidth to transport that uh, nutrient back up to to the tree. So it's a similar uh, method that we actually use to build out these fluid passages. We wanted to make a very stable uh, fuel injection system. And so we, we looked to nature and we were able to uh, create these in such a way that they really elegantly uh, disperse the fuel and give us really good mixing, which of course leads to good uh, combustion efficiency. Interesting, okay. Can this, I mean, will this have applications in cars, in a car engine or other you know, boilers or other kinds of um, devices that use fuel injection to uh, you know, other machinery? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So uh, another another sector of our business is taking this intellectual property which we protected and uh, applying it to these other industries where where we can really make a big difference in performance. Very interesting. Okay. So what um, what is Arc Engine making right now? Are you just making a rocket engine? Now that that's not a great achievement, or are there other parts that you're starting to make? Yeah, so we're we're making specifically uh, thrusters right now, uh, and we're also working on other things such as valves uh, and upstream components that we can also reduce the weight of for for these propulsion systems. And uh, we're we're also uh, branching out into other industries that. That require very high performance 
component. What about the medical industry? Since you're looking to biology, why not bring it back to make um, artificial blood vessels or valves or stents or things like that? Are you considering that kind of thing? Yeah, so, so that, is, that is historically kind of where uh, 3D printing first got its roots in the commercial industry. So a lot of the work uh, in there is very exciting uh, and and we we're kind of taking what we've learned from lab market and we're really seeking to to apply it for this goal of space exploration. Okay. And right now do you have um active customers that are buying your engines or are you still more in the stage where you're uh you're making concepts type type things? Yeah, so we we have uh some purchase orders and pre orders for our engines and we're we're actively uh, in development as well. So we have uh, several customers in the satellite launch vehicle industry as well as uh, satellite customers themselves for attitude control on their system. Nice. So what would you say um, is possible in the next year and maybe in the next five years as well? And what's fantasy now or even then? So we're, I think that we're going to start to see uh, additive manufacturing in space. The the uh, framework is is already there. We have we have uh, significant raw materials that will be at our disposal on the moon and on Mars that we can uh, harness and create parts that so. Not only will we not have to transport up raw materials to build our systems, well, we won't even have to do that. And we're, we're even going to see uh, that impacting these deep space missions where now you'll be able to bunny hop from uh, planet to planet, going uh, out to explore the galaxy. Really? So what's what's going to be the what's the biggest reason that that'll be possible when it's not possible now? Is it weight? Is it just the amount of thrust that can be garnered, or you know what are the factors? Yeah, so there, there are numerous problems with uh, challenges with 3D printing, uh, and also there, of course, you need to make uh, fuel, which there there's several uh, several entities working working on now finding uh refueling options in space. But the uh the TV printing is really emerging and taking off and there are several entities, uh one of them in particular is called Made in Place that actually has a plastic printer on the International Space Station. And they're already leading the charge of this manufacturing in space effort. Hmm. Okay, so that's right. If um, a 3D printer was put onto a, um, you know, the International Space Station or a rocket, it could conceivably repair itself and make things mm -hmm. that uh, either astronauts or the, you know, if it's unmanned, the vehicle itself needs. Right. So would that be a great assist to get um, missions to go further? Oh, absolutely. Well, what are, what are some of the current showstoppers that this new technology is going to address? 
maybe you, I don't know if we covered them all, but okay. yeah. So we're we're kind of on the cusp of uh, adding mini fashion where very soon almost everything will be custom made. Hmm. Uh, has the capabilities and prices of the added manufacturing system drop. Custom uh, manufacturing will be more and more attainable for more people for more applications. So something like a thruster that naturally makes sense because uh, every system uh, most needs half a dozen thrusters in there to be specially tailored for for their application, so it was a logical fit. Um, but I think we'll even start to see uh, more everyday items move into this realm where they can be uh, specifically custom-made and maybe even made in uh, people's homes and where they're used. Any, um, well, now to the almost fantasy side, any crazy applications that you may have thought until recently were crazy, but now you think actually may be possible? Yeah, I think uh, I think that the, the prospect of actually potentially growing a, a spaceship out of just materials on the moon, the lunar sandbox, is, uh, is pretty remarkable. That's something I... I uh, I never thought we were uh, able to achieve before I got into this industry. Hmm. Yeah, that would that would be amazing. Okay. Well, um, for listeners that are interested in talking to you about your technology, what's the best way for them to get in touch with your company? Yeah, so we have a, a website, artfashengine.com. Uh, there it is, and email address info at art-engines.com and those are probably the best ways to get in touch with us. Okay. And then um, any other questions or things that you wanted to cover that uh, I left out? Uh, no, I think uh, we pretty much hit all the main points. Thank you, uh, Richard. Yeah, no, I appreciate your time very much and this is like really fascinating stuff. So I appreciate you taking the time to do the interview. You have been listening to Almost Here, Around the Corner Future Technology Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Subscribe to this podcast, post to review, to discover more future technologies that are poised to transform our lives for better or worse, such as Bitcoin, artificial intelligence, 3D printing, blockchain, virtual reality, and more.